0: He's been on uh, before. You guys are uh, probably familiar with him. He was also um, not on for a while because he was a senior advisor and speechwriter for Bernie Sanders. Uh, so obviously the campaign is over, and and he is now uh, coming back on to talk about certain things from his own perspective. So David, I, I give that intro because there's a lot of folks in the Bernie world uh, who have differing. Views on the task force that Joe Biden announced recently, and there's nothing more normal than that. Everybody doesn't have to have the same opinion, uh, and you've called the task force performative, uh, and you know seem to th- uh, indicate that it's not very useful. Uh, and and I'm actually soft pedaling it, having written uh, read what you've written. Okay, so so let's dive right into that. Uh, why are you so skeptical about the task force? Well, because
1: I think that. Joe Biden knows exactly how to explain to us where he is and where he's not on various issues. Uh, task forces presume that uh, the, that we need to understand or litigate and negotiate uh, a complex set of issues about where the nominee is on specific issues. What does the nominee support? What does the nominee not support? But We don't suffer from a lack of ideas, a lack of legislative initiatives. We suffer from political will to get those initiatives done. And we suffer from politicians who don't make clear about where they actually stand on the issues. So when I hear Joe Biden say I need task forces to come up with uh, policy prescriptions or to come up with some sort of unity agenda that, uh, that we all agree on, what I hear is somebody who doesn't want to make all that clear where he actually stands somebody who wants to have the uh, the image of looking like he's reaching out for consensus in the Democratic Party but and and is going through the motions of that of a process but isn't actually giving up much ground or or conceding much of anything and I'll I'll make it you know very concrete here I mean Joe Biden can be clear about whether he supports Medicare for all or not, and and why he does or he doesn't, and he has said, uh, actually, this week he's been very explicit, saying he doesn't support Medicare for all uh, at all, and so he has a healthcare task force. Full of, of uh, some Medicare for All proponents. Uh, and so clearly he he knows that the exit polls in the Democratic primary showed very strong Democratic support for the concept of Medicare for All. He also knows that he's answering to his healthcare industry donors by opposing Medicare for All. So he's created a task force to try to square that circle, but it's not really a fixable situation. Uh, the image of of it may look like there's consensus uh, or that he's trying to reach some form of consensus but frankly it's a binary issue you're either for medicare for all and a health uh, and a healthcare system that guarantees healthcare to all Americans or you're for a corporate run insur- health insurance based system run by private corporations uh, that isn't that doesn't guarantee uh, healthcare to all and i don't care what kind of task force that you have to try to Distract from that, or pretend that that situation doesn't exist. Th- that's the facts. That's a it's a yes or no question. You either support doing what we know we need to do on climate change to stop that. Uh, that catastrophe from, from being as bad as it, it possibly can be, or you're not for the serious measures like a Green New Deal to, to address climate change. We don't need a task force to, to to pretend like there's some middle ground. And my point is not that it's a bad thing for the Democratic nominee to reach out to all parts of the party. My point is, it, the reason why you have task forces or blue ribbon commissions, uh, the reason why they've become such a cliche about uh, not really doing anything is because those are the vehicles that have been used for decades to try to distract us from whether or not a politician is really taking a stand with us or against us.
0: So David, let me push back on that a little bit. So, uh, and and by the way, I'm in neither camp here. Some people love the task force, some people hate it. Uh, I, I'm mixed on it. So um, for those of you who aren't, uh, familiar with all the names on the task force. Uh, the reason we're having a conversation about it is that if if Joe Biden had put on a task force filled with establishment figures, that would be very normal, and it would not be newsworthy. It'd be like, okay, they're gonna figure out how they're gonna screw us and we're done with it. Uh, but he did put a lot of real progressives on there. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Stephanie Kelton, and in the case of Medicare for All, Abdul El-Sayed is on there, and he's and he's very progressive and definitely in favor of Medicare for All. So, um, so, but the pushback comes in this, David. Not that the, they're on there and period, and we could you know and good enough, but that maybe given the circumstances, given that our side lost and they won, that maybe there are some extractions that we can get that that would make a difference. So. So Biden came out of the gate by saying, "Okay, fine, I don't like Medicare for all, but I, I'm willing to go to Medicare starting at 60 instead of 65." So I I think that's weak sauce, not nearly enough, and so it's it's not reaching out much. So just because you're reaching out doesn't mean it's enough, or you know, what if he had said 64 and a half? Okay, so it's not reaching out by much, right? Uh, but for example, if you the the task force collected and and then they said, you know what? Uh, any new any person born in America should automatically be enrolled in Medicare. So not everybody gets it right away, but uh, new people called babies uh, <laughs> they get it, etc. Would that be something that's interesting? No, I mean I'm not that-
1: making. I want to be clear.
0: I, I you know I I'm not
1: saying that the people involved in in these task forces are wrong to engage with the process that the Biden campaign has set up. The folks you mentioned, they are great progressives. And I think they should, if they were invited to be part of this process, they should be a part of this process. My point is a larger point, is basically, let's not cheer on a process that we know is the kind of process that has been used to mollify actual pressure and demands for concrete actions. Let's not just cheer on that process. Let's not give Joe Biden a lot of applause and pretend that simply having task forces is something real. If Joe Biden rolls out a policy that is real, if Joe Biden makes a set of commitments that he is prepared to follow through on, that is an actual real step. Uh, That is the thing that we should be focused on. But my point is only that we shouldn't simply say, "Okay, Joe Biden's bringing in some people that we like and that unto itself is a huge victory. That's not a huge victory because we know that the Democratic Party has used that kind of uh, process to try to pretend as if it's doing something when, in fact, it often doesn't do the things that it's pretending to do.
0: Right. So do you know when the task force uh, is supposed to conclude policy suggestions before the election or after the election? I, I,
1: I'm, I'm not so sure. I, I, I don't know. But I, but I can say this. I think we need to be watching very carefully what comes out of these task forces. And I think we also need to be watching very carefully if the people on them are willing to speak out and be honest with us about what they may have, uh, what concessions they may have extracted and what concessions they may not, not have been able to extract. Uh, I, my, my point here is that I, I really think that we're living in an era of politics where we can't just be honest anymore. And, and, and that people feel so uh, tribally aligned uh, with their party that we can't actually be honest. That that about nuance here. And and when it comes to, to a candidate like Joe Biden, look, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Uh, Joe Biden is better than Donald Trump. Joe Biden also has a pretty bad record when it comes to lots of progressive uh, values. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, has been a a, a real opponent of progress when it comes to, you know, something like Medicare for all, uh, when it comes to lots of issues that are are important to working people. I mean, this is the guy who was the author of the bankruptcy bill that will crush people uh, and help the credit card industry crush people during this recession. And my point is, we should be able to be honest and acknowledge all of those things. Better than Trump, bad record, needs to be pushed if we are not honest about those kinds of things then we will end up in a situation which i think was a bad situation at like we were after the 2008 election after the 2008 election barack obama won and there was a sense that since the election had been won that that was it the problems would be fixed we can all go home and we can all just cheer on the new president my point is is that donald trump needs to be defeated but if and when donald trump is defeated the the day after the inauguration of the new president, we need to have been honest with ourselves about what kind of president is going into that office, and we need to be prepared to actually seriously push that president and not defer, not not back off, not say, "Oh, the new president deserves, uh, you know, uh, honor and and our worship just because they won the election." We need to be prepared to actually be mobilized uh, when that happens, and and part of that process of being prepared to be mobilized is being honest with where we are now yes we lost task forces under themselves are not uh not a victory under themselves actual concrete things in the world uh, like commitments on policy are what we need and we need to be honest about when we get them and when we don't
0: all right thank you david Uh, i do want to ask you uh, just two more real quick questions uh one, one is um Look, my my sense of the task force is that if you um, have a task force that uh, delivers largely conservative policies, and the the progressives on there don't call it out, then we got played. Uh, And and all of it was actually counterproductive. Um, But uh, reality is, what it does is it puts a giant amount of pressure on the progressives on that task force. So it's really on them Uh, to make the task force work or not work. Do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely a fair assessment. And I think, you know, I think that that's the thing, that's exactly the thing to be on alert for, which is that you know if if joe biden is 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 looking at this in, in a very cynical way then yeah you know you get a a, a task force with 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 some progressives on it uh, you get a a quote-unquote consensus document that you get those progressives to sign on to and then you go out and you tout it as the progressive position and that anybody tries to criticize it say hey wait a minute you know you, you 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 didn't put this in in your policy or you you hedged on this or you cut this out of your policy well you know hey listen i got all these progressives who signed off on it so the people who who are criticizing me must be completely marginalized, must be completely on the fringe, right? That's how the Overton window works. And so we need to be on the lookout for whether this kind of process is actually used as a device of marginalization.
0: Yeah, so uh, so AOC, for example, is a, a wonderful progressive, but she is very nice to other Democrats in Washington. And so, uh, if if they use that Achilles heel against her, oh boy. Uh, so uh, let's see how it turns out. Uh, proofs in the pudding. That's uh, so why I think it could be great if the AOCs and the Abduls and then Stephanie Keltons et cetera, push uh, them to propose things that are actually pretty decent uh, middle ground, or as good as we were going to get from Joe Biden and the establishment. Then and that's let great. me, let me, let that me
1: just add can I add real quickly here? I mean, the the silver lining in this, I do think, it is that they did put people on those task forces who I have a lot of faith in. I mean, th- these are these are not. Um, this is not. You know, just imagistically uh, progressive people. These are actual committed uh, progressive people with strong records. So I I do think that is the the silver lining in this is that the people on those tasks, the specific members of those of of that process, I think are people that 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 you know it's trust but verify. But these are people. These are really good people, and and so I, I have a lot of hope for them.
0: All right, we'll have to leave it right there. Bring you on another time to talk about the progressive organizations in D.C. That's another fun topic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> progressive organizations in D.C. Anyways, uh, David Sirota, uh, and right now you're doing a newsletter, TMI, right? How can yes, people right. sign you can up?
1: Find it, you can find it at my website, davidsirota.com. You, you'll click to a link right there. All right, perfect. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you
0: having me. All right, we're back on a conversation, and we're joined by two guests that, that have two amazing stories. Uh, John Salzinger is the founder, and Sangha Jung is the CEO of Empowered. So that is a, a corporation that's good, doing good in the world. It's a B Corp, uh, and they do a lot of charitable giving, and they help the environment. That's an amazing story. But they also both had coronavirus, so that is also amazing, uh, or at least their experiences. So first of all, thank you for joining us, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for this opportunity, it's terrific. Thank you for having us, absolutely.
0: Yeah, no problem. So, uh, let's take it one by one. John, uh, what was your experience with coronavirus? Do you have any idea how you got it and and how'd you get through it?
3: I got it because we're in Brooklyn, New York, and um, those who are sworn to protect us didn't. Uh, So that's what I believe, truly. Uh, My three-year-old son got it as well. Um, I have asthma, so it was a bit harrowing at times. Um, you know, I would say that primarily, um, the most important thing is to ensure that you take this thing very seriously. It was not an easy experience, um, and I would say while we're on air, um, Tylenol and Mucinex, very important. The second one not talked about much, but anything to clear your lungs, um, is really important for that second stage of the virus.
0: Okay. That's really interesting. Sangha, how about you? Uh, What what was your experience like? Uh,
2: It was actually really challenging. So typically I'm a marathon runner. And so I thought that um, somehow I would be uh, immune from this, so to speak. But uh, my experience was really harrowing. I had COVID for a little over six weeks. Um, I actually contracted the pneumonia associated with it had to go to the ER and um, I would say, you know, similar to John, um, no one's really immune. Uh, I don't know where I caught it from. Um, it was just a horrific experience. I'm really, really grateful and lucky that I've come out of that experience. Um, but please, you know, wherever you are, please stay safe. Uh, no matter what the administration says. Um, this is a personal thing that can uh, affect you. Um, and so if you're not careful and if you're not safe, you could just be as susceptible as I was.
0: One thing I'm curious about, um, when I got really sick in the middle of March, and they would not give me a test for coronavirus. As it turned out later, I got tested months later, and I didn't have it. It was uh, the flu plus uh, infection that I had. Uh, but for for you guys, you did have it. Did they test you right away or did they make you jump through? Yeah. For- Never.
2: Yeah. No, and I contracted it. I contracted it so early they weren't prepared in terms of the infrastructure to give tests. And even when I went to the ER and they, you know, took uh, chest X-rays and they saw the pneumonia associated with COVID in my lungs, they still couldn't give me a test. So I think the numbers have been drastically underreported.
3: Yeah, I know fourteen people that have died. Um, One of my closer friends' father and cousin died on the same day. I lost an uncle, basically. And um, nobody gets tested, and definitely no one's traced.
0: Yeah, no, th- that's why I asked, because there's a mythology out there about this, and and I-, I don't think the press is actually doing a very good job in challenging it. Uh, the test, uh, I mean, barely available now, uh, let alone for the last two months, totally unavailable, made a giant difference. Because then the disease spread like wildfire because we had no idea who had it and we couldn't exactly. trace them. Yeah. All right. Let, let's talk about your company because you guys are, are trying to do some good in the world. And having your founder and CEO knocked out at the same time from COVID-19 probably didn't help. But um, but. Uh, uh, Sungo, why don't you explain to us what the thesis of the company is?
2: So John is the founder of the company, and originally the company started as a B Corp, which means that it was uh, created to both serve you know, those in recreational markets with our solar lanterns, you know, who are using our lanterns for um, hiking and camping, etc. But also at the same time, our lights were being distributed in emerging markets for those who didn't have access to electricity. So we are at the forefront of business really pivoting to create good at the same time that they were creating profits.
0: So John, uh, you started as a B Corp. A lot of people don't know what that means. Can you explain what it is and why you decided to do it that way?
3: Sure, sure. So we're a B Corp. Some large B Corps are uh, uh, Ben & Jerry's or Patagonia, Unilever. Um, We were a B Corp from day one um, for a couple of reasons. But the primary is I believe that business uh, should be solution-oriented. I believe that capitalism actually does work very well when you're solving a problem and providing a service. And that's kind of what a B Corp is sort of in its uh, earliest points of a B Corp, the base level of a B Corp. Um, The idea that you are doing good uh, and doing well. Um, Now, a B Corp is something that is offered as sort of a certification um, by a B Corporation. And you can look up our score and other scores on there. But we're also a benefit corporation, which has a little more teeth. So written into our bylaws, um, our shareholders hold us accountable, not just for profit and growth, but for impact. And to date, uh, as a B Corp, we've impacted 4 million lives and have averted 2 million tons of CO2 in emerging markets through affordable technology, solar portable lighting and and, uh, mobile charging to uh, 700 NGOs.
0: So John, um, was it harder to get investment? uh, Because do investors then go, oh, you're trying to do good in the world? No, no, I just want to make money.
3: I think everything's easier. I think everyone wants to go home and say they made a difference. And we're a vehicle for change. And participation is necessary, Uh, whether it's the Walmarts of the world that we deal with, or Amazon disaster relief, or you, frankly. Um, you know, we get a lot more from our vendors and our retailers, et cetera. We put 100,000 lights into Puerto Rico in between the, the hurricane and then the earthquake. Um, and that went through multi-channels, you know, everything from animal rights organizations to major NGOs like Save the Children to Walgreens. Um, and again, for us, we get breaks all over the place because people do want to do good.
0: And Sangha, how how does that work? What do you charge here in America? What do you do in terms of charity when it comes to developing world and giving literally a a light and sometimes in the darkness for them?
2: That's a great question. So because we are in consumer electronics, the margins are not such that we can have a buy one, give one program. And we really emphasize the quality of the products that we produce. We produce the exact same product for a backpacker here in the U.S. as for someone in uh, rural India who doesn't have access to electricity. So the way that we do that is through scale. And we have a very unique business model because, again, we deserve, we believe that people all around the world deserve access to great products. So, uh, through the scale that we're able to generate through retail sales in the US, Europe, Eastern uh, Asia, et cetera, uh, we're then able to reduce our pricing to localized. you know, economies in emerging markets, where we can then distribute through the 700 plus NGOs that John mentioned. We know that these NGOs know exactly how to deploy, they can get the lights to the last mile, they can really help affect lives. And so instead of setting up an infrastructure whereby we try to do that, and we try to build our business off the backs of those in emerging markets, instead we use you know, our retail sales in developed uh, markets, and then again, TR margins to those who need our lights the most.
0: The mission of Empowered is a little personal for you, uh, given yes. the context of how you grew up, right?
2: Yes. So I was born in South Korea before it was a tiger economy. And um, when I grew up, we actually did not have uh, running water or electricity in our home. Um, I do have a memory of us using a kerosene uh, lantern, and for those of you who don't know, it can be very harmful for respiratory health. Um, I immigrated to the U.S. by myself when I was three. My parents and my sister came before me, and uh, we did struggle in the U.S., but there were many more opportunities, and through you know, various educational means, I kind of worked my way up through the system. Um, ended up uh, eventually at Cambridge where I got a degree in environment and development uh, with the intent of trying to uh, return to you know, countries like the, the one in which I had grown up to try and help people without you know, the infrastructure uh, to really advance. Um, so I was very grateful, actually, when Empowered found me four years ago. Uh, I have been working in traditional business in the beauty care industry, and I didn't know about the emergence of B Corps and the you know true power of the private sector and really uh, creating solutions to affect change. So I am so thrilled and proud to be at Empowered um, to have affected so many uh, lives in such a genuine way. And, um, you know, even today I received a video from... Uh, a partner in, in North Korea, actually, and I can't mention who they are because the work that they're doing is, is uh, you know, puts them at grave risk. Um, but they, they showed us pictures of how our Lucy lights are lighting up um, tuberculosis uh, TB clinics in North Korea. And I just said, it, it's so incredibly uh, rewarding uh, to know that full circle, um, I've been able to help uh, the country from which I originally came. South Korea, but to me, you know, South Korea and North Korea are still Korean.
0: Yeah. One last thing, John, um, how, how does this, how does your product help the environment?
3: Yeah, so we avert CO2 because we're pure solar, so empowered is an acronym for micropower design, so personal empowerment. Um, power is solar in our case, but also empowering, and then design is form and function, so we fit 40,000 in a container because of the transformative elements in our design. One of them is uh, being inflatable and thus collapsible. And then we're also, um, uh, we, we literally blow life into our lights. Um, and it, it's a really interesting um, design aesthetic and to understand that we, we make technologies and lights for humans. And everyone wants a wow factor in their product. You know, Not just someone who shops at Bloomingdale's, but also you know, a kid who needs to read and wants to be a pilot in Kibera in Kenya. And so for us, it's a, it's a real equalizer and a great tool for people to have.
0: Uh, all right. And here at the Young Turks, uh, we love double meanings. So <laughs> I love the name of the company. So well done. Uh, and we like it, saving the environment. And we like helping uh, others. So Uh, good work Lauren, great to hear that you guys are both recovered from coronavirus, um, and, and, you know, hope everybody in your family is safe. Thank you for joining us, John.
3: And- and Can can I do one plug? Because people can't participate in the model. So please go to empowered.com and when you buy a, a light, you're actually helping someone else. Empowered does the rest. And I'll also add from our perspective, wear a mask and save your or someone else's grandmother. It's not for you, it's for others. Yeah, all right, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.